United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Hello again, everybody. I am Dean Linky, and during these unprecedented times as we deal with the COVID-19 pandemic and we also deal with the social injustice, enough is enough it's time to end racism wipe it out and be about love and respect with that we open the show with shaka daily and with credit to the big 10 network and the big 10 conference we start his interview with the video he did in one take representing all black coaches in the big 10 conference of course shaka daily one of under 10 black coaches at the division one level the top man at the university of michigan he will open the show with a strong message. Speaking of strong messages, it is an honor to be joined by Michael Curry right after Shaka Daily. Of course, the Michael L. Curry Fund within the United Soccer Coaches Foundation provides scholarships for educational opportunities to coaches who are affiliated with the United Soccer Coaches, dedicating to serving the needs of underserved soccer communities or the development of minority coaches are committed to the advancement of diversity and inclusion in the game of soccer. Among many awards, Mike Curry was presented with the United Soccer Coaches Prestigious Honor Award at last year's United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. This man is legit. This man has lived through racial profiling, and he's come out on the other end to want to help other minorities get it done. Mike Curry also on the program. And then we are joined again by Smiling Bob Warming, now the head coach at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. He, along with three other prominent D1 coaches, started the Soccer United Against Hunger campaign. It is impressive. And Bob Warming, Smiling Bob Warming, that is, will wrap up the show. We start with Shaka Daly. Again, credit to the Big Ten Network and the Big Ten Conference after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. When the University of Michigan came calling, I realized it was an amazing opportunity and great responsibility. The responsibility I have now as a 46-year-old black man uh, in America has been elevated uh, in in many ways. Um, Obviously, I have a responsibility as a son to uh, immigrant parents from the islands who came to America for uh, a better life for the kids uh, and making sure that I, uh, they want to do better for their kids and I too want to do the same for mine. I have a responsibility as a husband to nurture, uh, support emotionally, um, financially, uh, our family dynamic. Um, you know, uh, biracial kids, I have a responsibility to uh, my kids to educate them, help them grow so that they can advocate for themselves and just simply know the difference between right and wrong as they go through their journey in life. Obviously, uh, with the great leaders in in our league, the other head coaches and Commissioner Warren, our athletic director, Ward Manuel, I'm afforded the opportunity to to have greater responsibility and, and choose to take action in doing that and elevating and educating our colleagues within the University of Michigan and certainly our student athletes to give them an open, safe, and brave space to have meaningful conversation first and and to assist in taking action second. So it's not just my responsibility, it's everyone's responsibility. As you just heard, those were the words of Saka Daly just a week ago. Those words moved me. Hopefully they'll move you. They moved me enough to have Saka Daly now in his ninth year as the head coach of the University of Michigan men's soccer program Join me to kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Shaka, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Well, that minute and 46 has 
been inspirational on many senses, but it's really your last message that says, yes, it's my responsibility, but it's all of our responsibility. And I know you're talking to me, you're talking to everybody, you're talking to teammates, you're talking to everybody in Ann Arbor, everybody across the country, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a multifaceted thing when you when you when you talk about responsibility, right? And as I alluded to in there, it was you know sometimes I struggle with those things that media has asked me to do, but that was one take. I talk about you know the responsibility that I had as a immigrant to my parents, who my parents have gone through you know the the 50s and 60s, understanding that, understanding my responsibility as a husband in a interracial marriage a father to two interracial beautiful kids, to now a colleague to others in the Big Ten, a soccer coach, Division One men's soccer coach, of which there's only 5% of Division One men's soccer, 5% of coaches which are black, so I think nine or ten coaches, one associate head coach and nine head coaches, and then obviously a mentor to the student-athletes that I have the pleasure uh, to serve and oversee and certainly uh, as a friend and helping uh, friends understand the the many uh, different things that this goes through. But in the end, it's it's pretty simple. And, and, and what we try to talk to our kids about or are already having those conversations about with a 9-year-old and a, and a 14-year-old, one entering high school and another one entering the fourth grade, is the difference between right and wrong and, and good and evil, right, in the end. And, and, and that's everyone's responsibility to start to learn and educate and take care of internally what, what's going on in, in your own house first and start to educate yourself and educate those around you and then and continue to grow. Before we march forward, I do want to walk back and ask you the question, Shaka Daly, the same question that Mike Curry will address coming up after you, and that is, as a youngster, did you ever experience direct racial profiling like we've seen so many times over and over? Yeah, I mean, it, it's something you you leave your house thinking about, and it's something that my parents educated me about as I grew, you know, moving to America and how I needed to operate, function, ride the bus, drive my car, when you're pulled over, how you're supposed to function. But fortunately for me, Nothing of a negative connotation, but certainly I think those things are common. It's something we've grown to prepare for. It's not it's not something that's that's a surprise. And I think my parents did an amazing job, as I will with with my kids, to make sure it's it's not a surprise and that they're educated and understand the right way to function and what what you would call high pressure situations and then certainly from a professional standpoint there's there's been unique unique instances as well now one of the things you did tell me and it's good to hear you didn't experience any direct thing and i think that part of that is from what i know about you is your parenting also the fact that you're a man of wisdom you're a man of ambition and you put yourself in good positions but you did admit to me pre-taping that as the husband to a Caucasian woman, that she does notice it. How has that affected you, and how do you guys talk about that? Yeah, it's a unique one because she notices it much more than I. It's something I think we've grown accustomed to, or I've grown accustomed to. I tell her it's like being invited to a party you're not supposed to be at, right, in the end. And she notices it when people stare, we walk around, or if we go into a restaurant, or if we're holding hands, if our kids are around us, you know, it's it's those those stairs that uh, I think um, sometimes uh, disturb her, but it doesn't. It never has and never will uh, break her. Uh, it's something that she's grown uh, a lot of strength from in knowing that I'm confident about the man that I am, the man that I uh, represent for her as her husband the man I represent to be for my kids and the man I represent to to serve University of Michigan and, and fortunate with the opportunity to to be there. You know, also very fortunate that I've been around some great individuals like Bob Driscoll, Father Shanley, Carl LeBranch at Providence College, who was, you know, uh, in reverse order, my associate AD, the president of Providence College, and then the athletic director, Bob that um you know and i and I actually text them last week thanking them 
for simply giving me the honesty, the opportunity, and the you know responsibility to to lead one of their programs and to to judge me based on my character and 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 what I offer you know to the student athletes and what I offer to the university and what I offer to the soccer program and you know they were uh, all three white men that were uh, you know great for uh, my evolution and growth professionally over there and in, in in helping me and then you know going through that process of of growth right everyone goes through it um you know I think a lot of people now are going to go through emotional professional uh, family growth right now uh, as a result of what's going on of a, of of something that's bigger than you know we talked about it last week you know bigger than the pandemic in many ways uh, a social pandemic if you'd say you know going through those for those processes it was it was certainly unique as as you have ambition like you said to to grow and and to to set the precedent or tone for for others in the business. So you mentioned the business. You already said that startling number of percentage of African American coaches in Division One soccer and perhaps all the way across soccer. I don't think the number is where it needs to be. As we push forward and accept responsibility and take responsibility. There needs to be more than just a checklist, hey, I interviewed an African-American coach that needs to run deeper than that, right, Shaka? Yeah, I mean, no coach, no ambitious, competitive coach wants to be given an opportunity because of the color of your skin. They want to earn it, but you want to be given the opportunity to apply and to be looked at at the same level as everybody else. And... I felt going through my uh, evolution of growth with the support of uh, the staff at Providence College who never told me not to entertain or look at other situations for professional growth or what I felt was professional growth at that time in that era uh, of Providence Athletics. But, uh, you know, I went through, you know, countless interviews, three or four different interviews as I was looking through it, not looking to get out, but looking to to grow professionally for, for many reasons. I went to Providence College. I was there as an undergrad, as a grad student while I played pro soccer. I was there for 20 years. So, you know, for my own personal benefit, I thought that was, was required. It was a, a, a school of 3,500, predominantly white. It was important for me, I think, to grow professionally and, and personally to look at other situations. And, you know, I think I got some honest feedback in situations, I got uh, opportunities to interview at some situations and got an opportunity to interview in what people argue is the best league uh, outside of the Big Ten. And I felt going through that process, I was a box picked for an interview. And I don't think I was genuinely afforded an opportunity to, to interview as I went on that campus. I was in a room, the same room, the whole day. Uh, I didn't exit the room. People came to me. Uh, I didn't visit any facilities. I didn't talk to any student athletes. I didn't, you know, walk around and show me the academic center. So, you know, in, in doing that, that told me a lot when I came back. You know, I looked at, at myself and said, question if I was doing uh, everything the right way professionally. Was I growing? Was I a viable candidate? You know, when I felt uh, we did some really special things at Providence, the little engine that could, that did, that now continues to do under the leadership of the guys that I worked with before. But it was unique to kind of reflect and look back on that process after going through a process at Michigan where, you know, when you're you're interviewing as a head coach, you go through what 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 some would call, you would hope, the gauntlet, right? And you have to be ready for that. You know, and when I came to Michigan, it was such a polar difference in the interviewing process from it was like an eight-hour interview from meeting and meeting eight different people, including the AD, an associate AD, the women's coach, and director of facilities, compliance, financial aid, met with admissions, academics, you know, in, in eight different places, and you went around to, to see everything. So you really got a holistic view of, of what uh, your future could look like, and I think a professional way to attract someone to come to their university or to, to say, hey, you're going to add value to the university. 
and I thought it was such a difference that I, when reflecting on it, it was it was amazing the difference and certainly the the big biggest reason I chose to to go to the University of Michigan. And I can tell you, Shaka, selfishly as the uh, voice of Big Ten Network soccer, I'm so pleased to hear that Michigan saw all the values you bring because you've now made it routine to have Michigan in the NCAA tournament. A couple more questions for Shaka Daly. You already mentioned that you've got a beautiful daughter and a son. I know this because I've met them and I've met your wife. What kind of messaging are you giving to your kids right now, Shaka, and are they asking questions? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's twofold. I mean, you, you, like my parents, they did their best to protect me until they until they couldn't, right, until you needed to be educated. And, and my son is at a pivotal age uh, entering high school in the fall. My daughter's, you know, going into fourth grade. So it makes it um, interesting on how much you divulge and, and how simplistic I think you need to to make it because, you know, as a as a biracial kid, you – you have a little bit of a struggle of identifying, I think, at times if you're black or you're white or with whatever parent you are with or if they know who you are in a town where you're the head coach at the University of Michigan. You know what I mean? So I think those things and, and helping them understand who they are, like I said, taking care of stuff internally within your own house, I think is certainly the priority right now. And, and my wife and I, you know, continue to do that. But educating my son and and showing him the incident with George Floyd, sitting down with him and talking about it and showing him other incidents that are readily available on YouTube, which is scary, sitting down having conversation uh, about some of the, the great educational things that are coming out on the Internet, which you have to do your homework on, right? Um, but in kind of getting his thoughts or just spurring up some things. So we're really working on uh, my son as he's he's more thoughtful now than he is talkative, your typical teenager. <laughs> Is he thoughtful? And it will hope, you know. But um, really, just throwing things down his way and, and let them feel comfortable to come to us and have a conversation. But but terrible that I that I have to and kind of show him those things so he understands. In two years from now, there, there's a prep course before he even gets his license, you know, from me to him, you know. So those are things that are, um, you know, I dread those those days but I but I don't dread the conversation of if it means loving my son and making sure he's going to be okay it's it's something I'm uh, um you know look forward to doing and helping him grow along with my daughter and that's now the balance of when do we start to open up the conversation more and more with her which she's she's already begun that conversation with her mom she's identified it I think a little bit sooner in her classrooms and looking around and and seeing what that looks like for her, you know, so she can see it through her eyes, and it's multifaceted, and then that also stems down to your to your team, right? Being a mentor within your program and how you how you handle those things uh, from a socially conscious standpoint. Well, that is really the perfect segue to my final question, and I have to tell you, Shaka, admittedly, the biggest thing that you told me last week that inspired me to want you to be the leadoff, and that is. Again, going back to how you end the opening video that we played here on this podcast about, yes, it's my responsibility, but it's everybody's responsibility. But, Shaka, you took extra time to explain to me that you have to be aware as an African-American coach. You have to be aware of the fact that you're dealing with different ethnicities. Ironically, it's Francis Atuahene, he's arguably one of the greatest players ever come to Michigan. It's his birthday today. He's a right to dreamer from Ghana. So he's got to walk a different way than perhaps a Robbie Mertz has to walk. And you have to be aware of that. And I thought that self-awareness, Shaka, not to totally toot your horn, but right now more than ever, I really appreciate it because you know there's a problem but you also know that you've got to handle it the right way and make sure that you don't go too far, aren't too overbearing, and all of those kind of words. But you know, with that as the final question, the fact that you spent so much time on that is something that's clearly been on your mind long before George Floyd, but probably every day of your life as an NCAA Men's Division One coach. Yeah, no, it's, it's something I, I went through, and, and one of my student-athletes, I'll give you two or three quick stories, but one of my student-athletes at Providence went through some racial profiling, and we had to build back his reputation based on hearsay, you know, and he was a young man from Georgia, very proud, 
a black kid, was a really exciting player that, you know, we had to suspend and go through the process, and I fought to get him back on the group, and he was removed from the group for a year and a half, you know, which was so weird to just leave him on his own, but he stayed engaged with me, I stayed engaged with him, and we ended up bringing him back for his senior year, and, you know, the greatest thing is, ironically, we hosted our first ever NCAA game at Providence, and he scored in that game, which was an amazing kind of reflection, you know, in going back and kind of helping him grow through that process. And then, because people were scared to have the conversations, I think, and I think that's what's great about now. I don't think I've ever been scared to have the conversation with him, nor was I scared to have the conversation with Francis on his first week at school at Michigan, knowing, you know, what I think he could offer the team, but more importantly, what Michigan could offer the rest of his life and not to stray from the main goal or the big goal at hand, which was to be a successful student athlete and not allow allow anything to deter that socially, emotionally, physically, and make sure that he was making outstanding choices every day that he was at the University of Michigan. So he gave himself the chance to be seen and the chance to compete at the highest level and hopefully get drafted, which, you know, thankfully it did, to to growing the relationship with you know, Robbie Mertz, who, again, was an amazing leader but was so open to conversation and dialogue and growth, and we still have a, an amazing relationship today. So, you know, it's crossed so many streams, and, and it's been positive, but you know, how socially conscious your group is as a leader, you have to take the tone of the group. You have to hope that the culture in your group makes you a great listener and hopefully a great servant to these young men as they embark upon a very delicate, challenging, monumental, global situation that is that has come to light that's that's been around or existed for for uh, many, many years and many generations before uh, and will not be solved overnight. But I think the growth and everyone to be responsible for growth and healing and, and love and responsibility, you know, I think is, is, uh, is the biggest piece of counsel or advice that I can offer at this time. Chaka Daly, top man at Michigan, as he said, again, in his video, it's, not just his responsibility, it's all of our responsibility to reject racism and accept love and peace. Shaka Daly, thank you so much for kicking off this week's show. I know Mike Curry sends his best as well. He's up next. Shaka, you're the man. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean. Really appreciate you, first of all, uh, and all you're doing to, to highlight these issues and also appreciative to United Soccer Coaches for uh, everything they're doing for not only myself to, to educate others, but certainly to continue to spread the responsibility amongst the masses. Kind words from a kind man. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. The Michael L. Curry Fund within the United Soccer Coaches Foundation provides scholarships for educational opportunities to coaches who are affiliated with the United Soccer Coaches, dedicated to serving the needs of underserved soccer communities, or the development of minority coaches 
or committed to the advancement of diversity and inclusion in the game of soccer. Since the Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund became established in 2011, income from the fund has provided scholarships to coaches and a grant to one soccer program. Currently, one scholarship is awarded each year. The goal is to raise $50,000 so that two scholarships or grants can be distributed annually to deserving youth soccer coaches and organizations, enabling them to attend or conduct United Soccer Coaches National Coaching Academy courses. Mike Curry spent over 40 years serving in management and leadership positions with several successful business organizations. In April 2018, he retired from a leading provider of comprehensive investment management services where he served as a member of their leadership team for 21 years. Despite a unique business career, Curry's life extends beyond that of a businessman as he almost lives a second life as an active member of the soccer community. Mike has dedicated himself to working for the development of talented soccer players, coaches, and programs across the country. As a member of the United Soccer Coaches for more than 25 years, he has volunteered in several leadership, administrative, coaching, and philanthropic roles within the organization. He served as a member of the United Soccer Coaches goalkeeping coaching staff for many years. He is a member of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. And in addition to establishing the Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund, Mike has committed a legacy gift as a charter member of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Legacy Society. During his tenure with the United Soccer Coaches, Curry served as a member of the United Soccer Coaches Board of Directors, chairperson of the Board of Governors, and chairperson for the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Mike served as Philadelphia Convention Logo Organizing Committee co-chair in 1996 and LOC chair for the six conventions held in Philadelphia from 99 to 2014. In recognition of Mike's contributions to the association, he received certificates of appreciation in 2008 and 2014, a Presidential Recognition Award in 2015, a United Soccer Coaches Letter of Commendation in 2018, the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Meritorious Service Award in 2019, and was presented with United Soccer Coaches Prestigious Honor Award at the 2020 Baltimore Convention. Curry began his professional soccer development at the U.S. Naval Academy, playing under the late coach Glenn Warner. After two years at the academy, Mike decided to change his major, but not his love of soccer, and transferred to the University of Baltimore. There he played Division II collegiate soccer as a goalkeeper. We hope you will consider a tax-deductible gift toward the Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund and join us in honoring Mike's lifelong dedication and contributions to the sport of soccer. To make a donation to the Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund online, visit the website at unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash coaches give. And with that, the great Mike Curry joins me now. Mike, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. As you just heard, I read your impressive bio, but the bio is more about what you've done here with this amazing Michael L. Curry Fund within the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Why was it so important for you to set that fund up, Mike? Well, thanks for asking. I you know, spent many years with several organizations, including the United Soccer Coaches, helping to create awareness uh, around diversity and inclusion. And one of the key aspects of diversity and inclusion across the board, whether you're talking soccer and business and any other community, it really comes down to access and advocacy, you know, access to the things that someone needs to be successful. It could be resources, it could be people, it could be opportunities, it could be knowledge, equipment, and just a chance to make a difference. And then advocacy, having people who actually will sponsor you, people who will say, hey, I don't see Mike's name on this list. Let me vouch for him. I'm going to personally take responsibility and uh, take some risk in recommending him for this project. And those are the two things, access and advocacy, that are missing a lot from people of color, black people, minorities, anyone that's not in a privileged group. And so the scholarship fund was an opportunity to say, this is a way we can both provide access and a little bit of advocacy and, of course, do something that will hopefully over time grow and continue to offer this benefit in perpetuity. Long answer to your question, but I, I wanted to say that because I think there's messages in there that transcend the broader conversation. Uh, you know, we make this issue a lot more complicated than it really is. It really comes down to access and advocacy. 
And when people don't have those two things, they can't achieve the things that they aspire to. Speaking of issues, obviously we're dealing with the pandemic, but the pandemic is almost forgotten because of the social injustice suffered to Mr. Floyd and the reminder of how over the years it's been a consistent theme of police brutality against people of color. Now, Mike, let's get into it because all of us are pledging to reject racism and be for love and respect. I'm sure that's how you've lived your life, but I'm also sure that you've experienced exactly what we're talking about, racial profiling. Can you share any stories of that as a youngster growing up, Mike? I can. Could I just make a comment, though? Because I'm really pleased that we're having these conversations, but I want to offer to the audience something for them to think about, and that is when Kaepernick took a knee, why wasn't all of this an issue then? Why wasn't it as intense and as powerful then? Because I can go back and, even in recent times, offer up at least 50 incidents like George Floyd, not to diminish the cruelty that we actually got to see, but we actually got to see others even before his. And it was almost like, okay, another day in the neighborhood. And I'm glad we're at this point. But I think we all have to ask ourselves, why did we let Kaepernick taking a knee and what he was trying to bring attention to, which was this very issue, why did we let that become hijacked? Why did we let that become political? And we need to really ask that question because for this effort to succeed, we need to make sure we understand the reasons why we're vulnerable and how easily it is to get us off message and off track and not really focus on the the prize at hand, and that is, you know, equality and justice for all. So I just wanted to say that because I thought a lot about speaking with you today, and I wanted to make sure that people think about that because that in lies the issue. That, that shows the ugly side of all of us that we need to overcome in order to be successful here. So thank you for letting me say that. You know, my childhood was like any others. Being a little black boy, I mean, I had the conversation with my mom, and the first time I was exposed to this, when I could actually understand it was when I was 10 and we uh, just moved into our new home it was our first home that uh, my my family was able my mom and dad were able to as my father was a postman my mom was a school teacher and buying a home was a big deal back then this was back in the 60s early 60s and uh, I remember one evening I got up from the dining room table because back in those days families ate together <laughs> and uh, I looked up and said oh wow it's a bonfire out there let's let's go let's go see what's going on and my mom uh, pulled my brother up from the table and my father and we all looked out and she explained you know that's not a bonfire son look carefully uh what do you see and i said well it looks like it looks like a cross is burning she says yes you are correct and look at the individuals around that cross i said yeah why are they all in hoods and so that's when i got my first lesson of the ku klux klan and what they are and that i need to be very careful and so throughout my life there were other conversations like that, and there were other experiences like that. It was just part of being a person of, of color, and in particular, being a black male. As far as profiling, I mean, you can imagine early on in my coaching career, being in predominantly white coaching programs and clubs, and having to prove myself to not be a threat to these young men and women that I was coaching. And I was able to do that, but the, the standards were different for me initially until people got to know me. You can imagine driving home from practice and being followed by uh, law enforcement and, you know, hey, you know, from being asked, what am I doing here, to uh, <laughs> are you lost, right? I mean, you get all that. Uh, all the way up to being a uh, corporate executive, you know, flying to Australia on a Airbus 380. I mean, uh, if, if you've been on one of those planes, it's almost uh, 585 passengers, I think. They're huge planes. It's amazing how they even get off the ground. And being only one of two uh, people of color on the plane. And when we go through customs, everybody goes through except for two people. You can imagine who they are. And so you learn to just have, you adjust, you you make sure it doesn't escalate to something that's going to affect you negatively, and you just kind of move forward through it. But meanwhile, behind the scenes, I've done my share of all types of programs from diversity and inclusion training to being involved in committees and programs for anti-racism, scholarship fund. So, you know, my, my way of attacking it is getting involved. But I hope that answers the question, gives you some examples. And I think for any type of 
conflict like that, I'm always one that likes to roll up my sleeves and say, I, I want to do something about it. So that's why I've dedicated so much of my coaching career and my professional life to diversity and inclusion initiatives. I appreciate you saying those stories, and I can say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so sorry that you had to experience any of that, especially the first story you said with your family. Before that, your opening comments are on point because, Mike, as you're seeing, even Roger Goodell, Drew Brees, others are now saying, whoa, we made a mistake by not getting behind Colin Kaepernick. Is that a step in the right direction? They didn't do anything then. In fact, they went the other way. But now they're actually saying the NFL was wrong. I was wrong. Those are the words of Roger Goodell. Does that change how you're feeling about it post-mortem at all? Um, it, it is a step in the right direction. But I offer, again, those listening, two really key points. It's the questions they're not asking. It's the things they're not saying. For example, I would love for them to say, Why? So for Roger Goodell and Drew Brees, the answer is, I, I know what the answer is, and I would love to sit down and hold your hand and talk to them about it. It's white male privilege. And in order to get better at this, they're going to have to accept that they have that privilege. It's not a crime. It's nothing they can change. But the awareness of it will help them be a little more sensitive and a little more accommodating to the things that they can do and say and be that others cannot. So, for example, for both of them, I would offer a simple question. Did you at any point take the time to ask, why would this man jeopardize his entire professional career to do this? Did we ever have that conversation of why he was even taking the knee? It got hijacked around the politics of disrespecting the flag and disrespecting the United States. It, it wasn't any of that. It wasn't any of that. And trust me, I, I, I understood what he was doing. And there's no other place I would rather live than the United States. And I'm sure Kaepernick felt the same way. But we never got there because we immediately hijacked his gesture around our view of the world. And then it became a whole political thing that went up to the highest levels of our, our society and government. And we never got to the conversation. Meanwhile, these tragedies continue. And so the second thing I would say to the NFL was, wow, I'm going to lay a heavy on you. Imagine if you had taken a stand with him and done it in the appropriate way, maybe taken a leadership role as one of the biggest, most powerful sports agendas in the United States and say, you know, majority of our players are black and we're going to take a stand here and represent these players. And here's why they're doing it. Here's some stories that you're not aware of. Here's how some of these heroes that you see every Sunday get treated once they leave the stadium, right? And we want to take a leadership position in this space. That's the opportunity that they had, and they decided not to because of, quite frankly, the lack of courage to do so. And now they're doing it only because they're forced to. And that's the other side of this ugly story I think people need to see. You know, it's like without the violence, without the commitment, nothing gets done. The issue didn't change. We, we watched George Floyd being murdered. That didn't change, right? And others like him were murdered. And some recently we've been able to see on videotape. That's not new. So why now? And when are we going to have organizations and leaders with courage who say, you know, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to make change? And something in an organization as big and powerful as the NFL, they missed a huge opportunity there, huge opportunity to take a leadership role. And the heavy that I mentioned earlier that I'd like to lay on them is it's another simple question. Had they taken that leadership role and some of the changes that have the potential to take place now, had they occurred, would we have lost George Floyd? Because Kaepernick was, what, four years ago? Imagine the change we could have done in that time. The way we need to kind of turn and start thinking about these things if we want to really get to solutions. I really want people to think. I, I felt like that's the value I can bring to this interview. You're now seeing everybody make these pledges against racism and for respect. But I think what you're really saying is bigger than a pledge. It's about action and leadership, right, Mike? Well, I, I know I'm speaking to an audience of athletes and coaches and people who are used to metrics. They're used to performance. 
you know, I can make a commitment. Coach, I am going to do this this season. Great, Mike. So what do we do? We set goals. There are metrics and measures and things I have to achieve in order to reach those goals. And that's what drives me as a player or a coach, and it keeps everybody moving forward. So if people are going to take pledges, the pledges are empty unless they are followed up by meaningful, actionable commitments that can be measured and that that performance and commitment can be measured. So if an organization is going to say, hey, we're going to commit ourselves to increasing representation among our players or among our coaching staff or among our administration, that's a great first step. Then what they have to say is don't set any goals or quotas. That's not the right way to do it. What you do is you say, here are the actions we're going to take to improve the opportunities. And one of the things I help coach people on when I'm helping organizations through these types of issues is look at your pipeline. If you can look over your shoulder and your pipeline has the type of people that you're trying to attract to these leadership positions to be representatives in your organization, then great, you got a great chance. If you look in your pipeline and they're all homogeneous, they all look the same, speak the same, have the same leadership styles, there's very little diversity, then that's where you have to start and make sure that you're creating a, a place that's inclusive and welcoming, that people of talent can come that have all types of backgrounds. It's going to make your organization stronger or your team stronger. It's just going to be a better group with the diversity. Diversity is always a positive. And so that's what's missing from these. I listen to people, and it's almost like <laughs> I, I can give you a great a, a analogy, Dean. How many, how many of us have New Year's resolutions that fall short by February, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. classic, right? It's almost funny. We say, oh, yeah, I'm going to make this New Year's resolution. Well, if that New Year's resolution, like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And if I don't say, okay, now my goal is to lose two pounds a week, right, or two pounds every two weeks, you know, something realistic. So it's going to take me 10 weeks to get there, and I'm going to measure myself, make sure I stay on track, and I'm going to change my diet, and I'm going to do these things. So those are actionable steps that now contribute. So... Then we get into week four, and we say, okay, I should have lost four pounds by now, right? So I look, oh, I'm only at three. I, okay, I'm measuring myself. I've got to catch up, or I've got to make this change in order to make sure I meet my goal. So a simple example, but why shouldn't diversity, inclusion, and dealing with the ugly things of racism be any different? And some of the simple things that people can do if people want, want to go on this journey, and it's more than just making a pledge, I would say start with themselves because we all have biases. And they can start with the personal commitment of saying, I want to be better at X. And the great example I like to use is in food. How many of us are really picky about food? But it's a great metaphor of life. If you're not adventuresome about trying different foods, and by the way, just don't try a new food. Actually ask, okay, so where's this food from? What are the cultures and traditions that surround that food? And maybe better yet, why don't you go to a restaurant where people from that community are actually the owners, where you can now immerse yourself in the culture while you're having that meal. And just the art and the, the exposure of learning how to do that can then be transferred to other things that we find uncomfortable. And over time, we can start to see differences for what they are. They're, they should be valued. And we'll also notice that, wow, there's a lot more that we're alike than we are different. But it has to start somewhere, and I think people making pledges should really start with themselves. Mike, when you hear Shaka Daly's interview, and keep in mind he's one of less than 10 African-American Division One soccer coaches in this country, which is an issue, you hear him talk about a story about being interviewed by a prominent program and just being shut in a room, and he considered it just them checking the box kind of like, in fact, he referred to the Rooney rule in the NFL. When you hear him talk about the fact that he's got a young son that is going to be a freshman in high school and a young daughter that are now asking questions after the George Floyd death, when you hear all of those stories and then you hear Shaka say, look, it's my responsibility, but it's everybody's responsibility, but I also have to make sure I balance it because on my soccer team, I have Hispanics, and, and I have people from England, and I have Caucasian Americans, and I have young men from Ghana, and I've got to be careful how I use that role so that I 
keep my team. I mean, all of those challenges that he laid out is, you know, kind of similar to some of the challenges that you played out and, and how we deal with all of it. When you hear him say all of that, what is your response? Well, I totally agree with him, and I would just add that organizations like teams and sports are a great opportunity for us to be in environments where we're going to be around people who are different from ourselves, who have different stories and experiences to share. The key is to create an environment where people are comfortable learning from each other. I would say that's a big factor in my growth as a young man was playing sports. It was the one activity among several that provided the opportunity to see people and hear different languages being spoken and, you know, trying different foods and learning about different cultures or different ceremonies and how people celebrate the birth of a child or the death of a loved one or a marriage and knowing that, wow, we're very similar in the things we celebrate, we just do them differently. And let me understand that. That's interesting. You know, that's fun. And then not seeing it because it's different as a threat but seeing the difference as something that I can embrace as having value. And a team is the perfect environment to do that. Just like Shaka's team, he's going to have a diverse group of players, and I'm sure he spends time, as any coach would, helping them get to know each other and value each other and leveraging those differences as strength. As we wrap up, Mike, and I remind everybody again that I hope uh, all of you listening will consider a tax-deductible gift toward the Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund and join us in honoring Mike's lifelong dedication and contributions to the sport of soccer. To make a donation to the Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund online, visit the website at unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash coaches give. You talk about being in places where you felt included, where you felt like you're part of the team. It's clear to me, Mike Curry, that from the beginning you felt United Soccer Coaches was, in fact, all-inclusive or you wouldn't be doing all that you're doing. How did you know it? How did you feel that? And what made you want to start this incredible scholarship fund? Uh, it's a great question. It gets back to the two words that I opened the conversation uh, with, and that's access and advocacy. And so as a young coach, and especially a coach doing this part-time, um, I had a passion for it. You know, I played through college, and it was uh, just instrumental to my college life. And the comments I made earlier about the benefits of being on a team with a wide range of people and learning from them, it was just a great experience. And I also was in sports all my life, and I was a pretty gifted athlete, and I played at pretty high levels, whether it was uh, uh, soccer or, or baseball. Those were my two big sports growing up. Uh, but I found myself most of the time being the only black kid on the team, so I had to make those adjustments. And the United Soccer Coaches, at the time the National Soccer uh, Coaches Association of America, was very similar. I found myself being one of very few uh, black coaches involved in the organization. And I think the first step was me getting involved, and that provided exposure for people to see me and see what I could do. And then... Uh, to the credit of the organization, I, I was welcomed with open arms. Uh, people embraced me and gave me things to do. And over time, I started to uh, win the hearts and minds of a few uh, decision makers who then gave me opportunities, both coaching and administration, because I've served on the board and, and committees for many years, to do the types of things that will help me grow as a person and as a soccer person. And um, and then, so that was the um, the access. And then the advocacy came from some of those key people uh, recommending me to others, which led to, you know, uh, having a chance to serve as a coach on the men's national team, to the Adidas Elite Soccer Program, the academy programs with U.S. Soccer, um, working on the foundation. And that's how the foundation came along because of my the business side of my uh, my corporate life. Uh, that was a great fit to uh, serve on the foundation. They had the need for someone who did not only had soccer knowledge, but also had uh, understood uh, nonprofit organizations and and the things that come with running a foundation. And so that's how I got involved with it. And so when we started to solicit for people to start up funds, um, I decided that it, it would soccer was such a great part of my life. It was. Um, 
it's just a, a no-brainer for me to uh, commit to being one of the inaugural funds and get the, get the ball rolling, so to speak. And so when I established what the fund's purpose would be, I uh, focused it on underserved communities because I, I truly believe that a lot of the opportunities that I've been afforded came from someone taking the time to provide me with access and with the resources I needed, and I was hoping that the fund would uh, provide the same for others. Finally, Mike, sometimes more than money, more than anything else, just uh, recognition means the world. Can you put into words in 60 seconds or so what it means to be a recipient of United Soccer Coaches' prestigious honor award that you received at last year's convention in Baltimore? Yeah, well, I always have to sigh when I say that. Um, I'll, I'll give you two things, and for those who know me, they can relate to this. When I got the call that I was the 80th recipient of the award, award I couldn't talk for probably 30, 40 seconds. I was just speechless. And for those who know me, I always have something to say. I'm, <laughs> I'm a goalkeeper for crying out loud. I'm not shy. <laughs> uh, it just blew me away. And, and for two reasons, and this is the other part of my answer. This award is, and it's really not an award. It's actually a recognition. This recognition is, um, is decided by all the previous recipients before you. Um, so you can imagine how uh, moved I am to know that all my heroes, all the coaches that I've trained under or aspired to be or wanted to be as good as, these are the folks who have received the award are the ones who picked me. And that in itself is an honor that makes it a very unique recognition versus other recognitions where there's a committee and they look at your background and everything. Of course, they did all that. But to know that all the members who select you are past uh, recipients uh, just makes it really special. And then lastly, just to be able to represent the United Soccer Coaches, I just think it's a great organization. We are still growing and learning, especially with the issues of today. But I uh, can't think of a better place to call home when it comes to uh, having an impact on the greater soccer community. And so for them to recognize the work that I've done this way is just uh, something I will, re will cherish for the rest of my life. I want to remind everybody one more time that the special Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund in conjunction with United Soccer Coaches Foundation, you can make a donation by going to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash coachesgive. Mike Curry, tough times right now. Hopefully we can all together get this done and reject racism, accept respect. Mike Curry, you are walking proof that we need to get it done. Thank you so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, Bob Warming, a key part of Soccer Coaches United Against Hunger, Smiling Bob Warming when we return. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I'm Dean Lindsay. I want to thank Dr. Daly, the top man at Michigan, and also Mike Curry, two leaders, African-American leaders, spreading their message that, you know what, it's not just their responsibility, it's all of our responsibility to get rid of this social injustice. Another great cause, although I'm sure Bob Warming will also want to talk about what Shaka and Mike talked about, is college soccer coaches unite against hunger. College soccer coaches and their teams from across the country are uniting in a fight against hunger during the COVID-19 pandemic. Soccer United Against Hunger, powered by United Soccer Coaches, is a nationwide food drive spearheaded by NCAA Division I men's and women's soccer coaches in a collaborative effort. It will take place throughout this month to support food banks and food pantries across America. Four Division I head coaches 
Smiling Bob Warming, University of Nebraska at Omaha, Ray Reed, UConn, Becky Burley, University of Florida, and Brian Lee, Rice University, came up with the idea when discussing how their programs in the men's and women's division could work together to assist their community during the pandemic. The idea was sent to United Soccer Coaches 24 Division I men's conference representatives and 36 women's conference representatives and received unanimous approval. It's off and running. And Smiley Bob Warming, who joined us last week on the State of Division I College Soccer Coaches Through COVID webinar, is kind enough to follow that up during this important month as we try to unite against hunger. Smiley Bob Warming, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Dean, and, and uh, it's going to be an exciting month for of what we can do as soccer people uh, for our country. Well, here's the number, as you said in the press release, staggering number of over 40 million Americans need help right now. That's a lot of people, Bob. So that number is, is even more shocking because that was the number, Dean, before COVID. Now we're talking about more than an additional 40 million on top of that. So food banks around the country are up about 168% as of this past week of demand for food, and uh, we got to help them. One of your messages in this press release, the men, women, boys, and girls who love soccer and have a heart for helping others in the community are joining us and are going to make a difference in the month of June. It's bigger than the coaches. It's the entire teams, right, Bob? You know, it's so cool how many people are getting involved in this thing right now. All the state associations, there are 55 state associations under USYS, they're in. And we've used them for an umbrella because one of the things that we know is that uh, sometimes if you just go to a club, when our players are going back to a club, then other clubs thought they shouldn't be part of it. Now we're using the state association as an umbrella to help us with that. We're also getting other divisions involved. We just had a drive here on Thursday. There were already two other drives going on. One, a national drive called Stuff the Bus was going on, and then another local drive was going on. We held a drive the same day in five locations around our areas, and we had Iowa Western Community College, Creighton University, Bellevue University, Midlands University, College of St. Mary, and men and women's on all those programs except St. Mary's, which is an all-women's college, and the University of Nebraska at Omaha, we all combined to run our food drive in different locations. And it was so fun because we mixed our players up. So even though we and Creighton, we were about four miles apart, and our huge rivals, our players worked together on this. So men and women's players so we've, we ended up and raised, uh, we ended up and raised, uh, enough for, uh, money for 3,000 meals out of it. And then we uh, raised uh, right at 4,000 pounds of food that we donated also. Incredible. Soccer United Against Hunger was established to help with the food shortage problems that have been created by the COVID-19 pandemic at food banks and pantries. Visit SoccerUnitedAgainstHunger.com for more information and tips on how to get started. The site includes a checklist of easy-to-follow steps for coaches and players to get their food drives started. Smiling Bob, I've known you for a long time. I know how important your family is, and I know your son Grant was big with this website and getting involved. That always makes helping a cause even more special, in my opinion. It was great. I'm so proud of Grant. He, he developed a great website. He's not a webmaster. He's a soccer coach. But uh, he did a good job with it, and he helped us uh, bring other people into it. But, you know, I think one of the points is I, I gave you kind of a, a bigger kind of food drive idea. But one of the cool things is is that any soccer person in America can make a food drive so simple. Brian Weiss, the head coach at the National Champions, Georgetown, put a sign out in his front yard and a bucket, and it said, Soccer United Against Hunger, please donate uh, – you know, within a few days, he had, a, he had a great donation just from people walking by his house. Other people are simply just going to the website and sending out the link on their social media saying, you know, I donated to help uh, the food banks in America. You know, why don't you do the same? Challenge you to do the same. It, it's so simple. There's even a virtual grocery store that Grant has on the site where you can drag things off of a grocery counter, put it through the scanner, 
and you'll find that the buying power of the food bank is tremendous in terms of how much they can buy for a single dollar. You can donate a buck and just participate. And, and to me, participation is just so important. We've got to all make people know that our soccer community is the best sport community in America and that we're united to help our world. Indeed. Again, you can visit SoccerUnitedAgainstHunger.com, hashtag it, at hashtag SoccerUnitedAgainstHunger. Finally, Bob, and I know that you wanted to address this, two great visits with Shaka Daly and then Mike Curry talking about multiple occasions where he was racially profiled as a youngster and now he's giving back so much real money to the United Soccer Coaches, the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. He's got his own endowment. Both of their message was, it's not just their responsibility, it's all of our responsibility. And he's, they're right. Shaka's right. Mike's right. And I know you also wanted to echo what's going on right now with social injustice. I really do. We, we, I've uh, just had our first Zoom call, Dean, this past week with two representatives of each soccer team in our conference, specifically to, to address what we can do to help with racism. And I let it be, I gave them an agenda, but I let it be theirs. I tell you what, I am so encouraged, Dean, by when, when we give the young people of today an opportunity to speak and collaborate and work on things, they are so darn much smarter than I was and the, uh, at that age. And just they've come up with some great things that we're going to be able to do within our league, and we'll share it nationally as well. Finally, Bob, both this drive, Soccer United Against Hunger, and then even the fight against racism, one of the true unifiers is United Soccer Coaches. I know you're impressed with Lynn Burling Manual's support on the food drive and the way this organization is stepping up. Soccer United Against Hunger would not be anywhere where it's going right now with, without the United Soccer Coaches Association. And, Dean, the leadership that, that Lynn's put into this has been remarkable. She's got a lot on her plate, but felt like that this was important. Important to do something that united us instead of divided us. Helping people get the basic need of being able to eat is something we can all unite around. Mylene Bob Warming brings a smile to my face. I'm just saying that on TV, my man. Hopefully I get a game at the Rats <laughs> of Omaha someday, sometime. Thanks for all you're doing. So many great causes, including College Soccer Coaches United Against Hunger. One more time, folks, that website. You can visit SoccerUnitedAgainstHunger.com. Bob, thanks for all you're doing. You're the best, buddy. No, you're the best, Bob. And so are Shaka Daly and Mike Curry and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches, including Mike Knipper, Sean Chevro, Lynn Burling-Manuel, Jeff Van Dusen, Ian Barker, Steve Veal. Thanks for his recommendation to get Mike Curry on. He was great to each and every one of them. I'm Dean Linky. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap.